Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk USA. Are you tired of waiting for change? Tune into Blog Talk USA. Let your voice be heard on Blog Talk USA. This is a national health alert from the 24-7 Diabetic Health Hotline. If you, a family member, or a loved one has diabetes, listen closely. Now, regardless of your age, if you have insurance, you may qualify to receive diabetic testing supplies with little to no out-of-pocket costs. Get free delivery, free information, and all the paperwork is handled by our accredited suppliers for free. Call the 24-7 Diabetic Health Hotline now for details. But wait, there's more. If you call right now, you could get a free meter upgrade. In addition, we'll give you a free pedometer as our special gift to you. We have knee, back, and other braces available, as well as pharmacy services. Regardless of your age, if you suffer with diabetes and you have insurance, we can help. 888-303-9136. 888-303-9136. 888-303-9136. That's 888-303-9136. Welcome, welcome everyone to Blog Talk USA. We are so happy to be here with you on this marvelous Monday. Let me tell you how you can listen to our live programs and our archived episodes. The number to call to listen live by phone is 515-605-9375. You can also go to blogtalkusa.com or go to our Blog Talk Radio channel, blogtalkradio.com forward slash USA. You can also find us in podcast form on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Radio, or any other podcast outlet. Blog Talk USA will likely be found. And under that banner, you can find every episode of Marvelous Monday, and we hope that you will do that. Okay, let me give you over to your host, Dr. Shirley McKellar, my lovely mother. Welcome. (laughs) Good evening. Good evening, Ms. Riata. Thank you. You just always do that so amazingly. How are you doing? It's always great to hear your voice. This is actually a very marvelous Monday. I am just feeling uh, strong every day. So uh, I don't know if Mr. Arthur is on or not, but... uh, But we're just always happy to be right back here on Monday evening and welcoming all the people. There's so much excitement that's going on. You know, Ms. Rihanna, we're coming into election season once again. That's always fun. But I say let's not wait until election season when we start talking about what we need to do. Let's work on that all year long. So we're going to have yeah. a very, very special guest that's going to come in shortly out of Houston, uh, Texas, uh, Attorney Ursa Johnson, and she's going to be running. She's going to tell us all about what she's getting ready to plan for. And so we also hope that we have a special guest on with us tonight, Mr. Carl Davis, who is also out of Houston, uh, Texas, a longtime uh, Texas Coalition of Black Democrats doing great stuff uh, in this country uh, all over uh, the nation, as a matter of fact, not just in Texas, but everywhere. He's served in many 
uh, great positions, and so he'll be coming in a little bit later on. I, I told him just let us know when they come in, and there's going to be some 713 uh, lines that we'll need to have open. Uh, let's see, I'm getting a text message right now. She said probably in about 45 minutes for her. She's picking up someone from the airport. Uh, people are beginning to travel in and out a little bit, Miss Anna. But mm-hmm. but I want to kick off. I don't know, Miss Arthur. Mr. Arthur is there or not? If you are, Mr. Arthur, are you there? Pastor Cooper is. And Mr. Arthur's not Pastor, on yet. Good, yes, great. Good evening, Pastor Cooper. How are you doing? Wonderful. I love it when you say marvelous Monday. I can't wait <laughs> until I hear that. I mean, because it's just the opposite of what most people call Monday. And you know, you call those things to be not as though they were. And I love it. Hey, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I, I love the I love and I love the way you say that. You're absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you what we have this saying, Pastor Cooper and Miss Ray. I have heard it many times. Every day above ground is a great day. So when you're mm-hmm. above ground on Monday, it's a marvelous Monday. It's a great day, and you're able to put one foot in front of the other. So absolutely, it is a marvelous Monday. Well, let's let's just go ahead and kick off the show first before we get deep into some of our conversations, uh, just so that you can marry over what we're going to be talking about uh, in your heads. We know that we just finished spring break in in our community, and so today is Monday. They went back to school today, and they brought back some new cases of COVID. So we had 45 mm-hmm. new reported cases of COVID in our school district uh, here today. So um, so we kind of expected that. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And of course, we'll talk a little bit about the vaccinations and how those are going across uh, the state of Texas for, um, and across the nation, as a matter of fact, for, for people of color, black and brown people. And, um, and then, of course, we have to talk about uh, rural East Texas and how people are going to be, how you, uh, Pastor Cooper, is going to be able to get out there to the people. I live in rural East Texas. I live in Tyler, Texas, even though we, we're the county seat. We're the, we're the big city, so to speak, in East Texas, and, and we re- really truly are. We have 350 to 400,000 people that come in and out of Tyler every single day to work. So we'll talk about uh, getting out the uh, votes in rural America. And so so that you'll kind of know what we're going to be talking about a little bit tonight. And then I want you to just open us up and, and tell us, get, take a few minutes, t- talk about your campaign and, and uh, what, what you plan to do for us in this great state of Texas. And we'll listen up. Uh, Pastor Cooper, then we'll be able to get into the to the other parts of the show. Oh, it's awesome. And, and, you know, it's amazing uh, with the freeze and frozen pipes and people needing water and all of these things. Uh, it, it just reminds me of my resume, you know, uh, for, oh, probably 40 years or, or so now. It's all we've done. We've provided water and, and, and food and even shelter as our church uh, is registered with the Red Cross and shelter. But when after Katrina and Rita, most of those times, our water wasn't very well, so we couldn't house anyone, so we became a distribution point. So even as the governor, the main thing is to make sure it's easy for those 501 3Cs to be available to be a key distribution point for our communities in our urban communities and our rural areas. Those are the areas that's affected the most by these what they call, for the past two years, they call the 1,000-year flood, the 100-year flood, the 500-year flood, the, 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 the free uh, should never happen. And it's always like, well, this, these are the times we live in, so we need to be prepared for that. We need to work uh, 
the federal government and, and not worry about uh, deregulation to the point where our folks are, are, are dehomed, <laughs> if I want to coin a phrase at the same time. So these are the things that I've always uh, been working with. Matter of fact, uh, uh, being on the Southeast Texas um, uh, Faith Leaders Association, <clears throat> I was also uh, able to hold our governor accountable, our current governor accountable. So whether I'm in the governor's seat or, or outside the governor's seat, I'm going to make sure that I have an impact of that seat. And there's over $2 billion that our governor sent back to the federal government because he said he could not find a place <clears throat> to release the money into the communities. Let me explain yes. to you all, and, and, and just stop me when you have to because I know you have a show to host. But no, there's so right. many this things. Is, so this many, is the show. This is the show. Okay, great. So there's so many things, and, and you know, I, I'm known for education. Everybody knows it, but but uh, I can chew bubblegum and walk at the same time. So while I'm dealing with education, and that's my first hundred day thing. First of all, I get rid of standardized testing, make sure the pay rates. I, I had a Zoom call last night, and you're welcome to come on to it anytime. We had like once or twice a week, and one of the things one of the educators said because I have educators as current, educators as prior, and uh, PhDs. I have people that are prepared to be education commissioners now that has a superintendent's license, which people don't realize you have to have a Ph.D. in education and a superintendent's license, which is almost like getting another Ph.D. We have an uh, education commissioner by the name of Mike Morath that just nothing wrong with the fact that he just completed his degree after he received an office of $356,000 a year. And the Hanover Education Commission never even subbed a talk in the school system. I don't know wow. who was thinking of appointing of that position. Oh, that was Governor Abbott that appointed his friend into a position <laughs> that paid a lot of okay. money. Kind of like Urquhart yeah. folks that don't live in Texas. So anyway, uh, going back to what I'm dealing with, with the distribution of money when these disasters happen. And what happens is this, is that for 250 years, you have nonprofits like Food Bank, uh, some other places here locally and some other places uh, in your neighborhood and other places that have been around. And nothing wrong, <clears throat> wrong with my Caucasian brothers except for they've been doing nonprofits longer than us. So that doesn't mean that they have about $500,000 on average in their coffers from prior money given to them by the government. Not money yeah. that they raised, but money that was given to them by the government earmarked for emergencies. We as African Americans are startup nonprofits, Hispanics or Latinos or whomever else that's just now starting this in the past 40, 50 years. A lot of people say we, we were freed in 1863. Well, I like to argue that point. We were not freed uh, or, or, or were able to move around until the 60s, the Civil Rights Act and all those things. So my generation, me and our Vice President Kamala Harris, which I think is a couple of years older, we're the first free generation to where we can actually own and not lose our land like your fathers did and grandfathers right. did in East Texas That's and right. my grandfather did. Lost, yeah. uh, it's, it's a word called intimate domain. They took mm -hmm. your acreage, a penny an acre, and say they paid you for it. A penny an acre. Then they placed okay. Section 8 housing on your land, and in the West End or whatever your West End is, they wouldn't build Section 8 housing, but they put it in your neighborhood. And I'm okay with that because they need a place to live. But we have not been doing business long enough to have $500,000 in our 501c3s. And so, therefore, the government passed over us as churches, nonprofits, and entities that do not have the money to go ahead and loan out and give out to the communities. And we hadn't had the track record. So they look over us, and they send the money back. 
and we have people that's evicted. We have people that can't uh, meet uh, utility bills. We have people that lose their homes and their cars and everything because nonprofits like myself are not utilized, and I want to change that in the state of Texas. We have to start somewhere. Excellent. That's that's excellent. You know, I'm just listening to all of that history that you're laying out to us so beautifully. I, you know, I, I call that the sting of betrayal like none other. That our families were betrayed $1 for their land, uh, $1 an acre, I think, or one penny. And, I mean, nothing, just crumbs uh, from the table. That's not even considered a crumb. Uh, so, so I call that betrayal. 200 acres betrayal. at a time. Yeah, yes. lots of land, 200 acres at a time. Yes. And, and in this yes. area, uh, there was the James Commission. A lot of people don't know about them. Uh, they came down and broke up racketeering and gambling in the 1920s and 30s here in Southeast Texas. Google, uh, Beaumont, Texas, uh, 1901, we were Spindle Top, all capital of the world. Matter of fact, we're mm-hmm. still right. third number, number three port in your military, number three port, number one military yes. port, number That's three right. port in all the nation, and number That's one right. military port uh, right here five minutes from me. That's right. And yet. Uh, that land that was uh, uh, stolen was land that was belonged to African Americans. Matter of fact, there's a school That's called right. Charlton Pollard. Charlton Pollard mm-hmm. owned that. His family owned that. He was an educator, and and it was amazing. All these years, I'm going like, why am I attracted to, and why is this information sticking? With? I'm not reading from a script. This is my heart. Okay. This is my life. So that's why I laugh when people tell me about folks that. Or either a council person for a week, a year. I love the fact that you remained on council. Now, I would love to see Louis Gama go away, but I right, love the right. fact that you remain on council because you have to be there long enough to be effective enough to make that's, changes that's and right. see them through. That's it. That's it. And that's. I'm glad you you brought that out. And we're going to bring Mr. Arthur in next. But I'm I'm so glad you brought that hey, out because what the hey Mr. Arthur, how are you? But so what I said, uh, Pastor Cooper, just just what you just uttered, uh, I said that in a newspaper interview this past week that you have to be there a little longer than even maybe one term, 18 months, in order to really become effective and get your goals and your objectives accomplished that you want to see happen within your community. I'm up for election uh, May the 1st, and so we've, we've kind of laid out our platform of how we want to see things move on to the next phase because what I told the people here in District 3 is that I want to move you to the next level. Uh, we've been at Absolutely. this level far too long, right? So it's time to move on up. And we'll talk more about that later. But how you, good evening, Mr. Arthur. Come on in and, and do, make your greetings to all of Fine, we're doing good. How about you? How y'all doing? How you doing? How, how's it going, Mike? All right, my brother. How you doing, <laughs> sir? Wonderful, wonderful. wonderful. Uh, campaign, the campaign going pretty good, from what I understand. So, you know, just to just kind of hang out. We have all here, Hey, 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 look here. Mike got his own tape. He brings his own table, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, his own table, so, his own stool, his own chair. That's right. That, that's yeah, the way, yeah. that's the look, way you have to do that. We ain't looking for no table. We bring the table. Hey, look here. A full disclosure. <laughs> a full disclosure. Mike Marath is, is, is my Fred brother. Now, I don't know, I don't know how he sneaks in. And Who is your fraternity brother? Mike Marath. Okay. Yeah. 
So full disclosure. <laughs> so you know. So and here's you know just in case you tell you. So I want to I want to tell you before that. So you you know, but basically what I'm just saying is that you know just because you know they go and join up turn, they don't mean that they're gonna be trying to work. You know you gonna be looking out for black folks. So that's what he didn't show to me. Uh, but Mike, as governor, uh, the, the one okay, the issue that one issue that I'm dealing with down in my hometown, and it's Texas, and I, I think I told you about that. We're we're we're, uh, we're developing a park down there with the, you know in cooperation with the city. Uh, but we have yeah. some other properties down there that was that was that was donated to the black community all over the state of Texas. As a matter of fact, all all all, all through the south, it's, it's called covenant covenant property, and a lot of this property is being. Uh, it's being, you know, like say, you know, uh, you know, they, they can't eminent domain it, but they can, you know, uh, 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 sneak and take it. All they have to do is just get some black folks to, get, you know, together and say, you know, say whatever. So basically, uh, what I what I'd like you to do, uh, you know, once you become governor, is put together a commission to go to, to go around the state of Texas and, and see and identify these covenant properties. They were donated to African American communities, church because a bunch of them church properties, so forth. Yeah, see, see how many was donated to African American community and, and see where they are right now, because there's a lot of, of valuable property that belongs to the community. And what we did, and this is what you what you do is going to do it right. We created 513C uh, to put the because covenant property was, was left to the black community, so we put together a black uh, uh, 513C to 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 be over the properties. And so we're doing this. We we worked out a deal. Well, we're going to get we're going to build a multi-purpose center. With somebody named Barack Obama. Uh, and so uh, 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 it's going to be multi-purpose, and we're going to get half the funds from the rooms and so forth that come through. Uh, and so what I'm just saying is that there is that there are properties in different places that the African American community actually should be benefiting from, but they're not. You know, this area is growing down. You know, down that area, so it made the crop even more valuable. So. Uh, so again, you know, like if you would, when you become governor, uh, look into these covenant properties because that's one of those uh, 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 hidden equity things that we have that's valuable to our community, but nobody's keeping up with them. Okay. Well, that, that's, that's a great point. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I was listening to our friend in the radio industry, and uh, he's going to be speaking at our banquet in June, probably virtual still, but just depending on the uh, COVID and the vaccines sure. and, and, and sure. what's going on. But uh, uh, 80% of the land in Nevada, I didn't know this, is owned by the federal government. Oh, I, I knew that. Yeah. You knew that. There you go. I did. And mm-hmm. 33% in Washington, D.C., where they're trying to make the state. Mm-hmm. Um, and in most states, I think in Texas is like sixty-six percent, something like. And Florida is like sixty percent. It blew my mind. This is what's happening, and so they're taking up this land, and so we have to have. That's a great program. I mean, we, we don't have to wait to get into office because I've been talking to my team about planting uh, gardens in communities, taking lots up, and and tearing down homes, and putting sustainable garden in in, in there. And, and re uh, 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 draining the water so we can uh, use it in the communities because a lot of people have problems with water, brown water in our area, southeast Texas. I think in North Dallas somewhere up there, uh, Brother Arthur, mm-hmm. that there's a, a small section that they don't even have water flowing through the community. 
Like 900 right. people have zero water, and they're using mm-hmm. bottled water uh, uh, every day. So th- and, these are some things we're looking at to do now. Well, well, Pat, let me jump in there, Pat Cooper. I'm so glad you brought sure. that forward. We can dialogue a little bit more on that because people think that Inkster, Michigan, is the only state and city in this union because that's all we heard about was the water in Inkster, Michigan, right? And But right. I told them that we don't even have to leave out of Texas. I don't even have to leave out of my neighborhood. I can turn on right. my water and brown comes out before I can run it for a few minutes and, mm. and get make it look like clear water. So, right. and we know, we know in East Texas, we got all kinds of clear springs. Mr. Uh, Arthur knows that we got, we got good mm-hmm. water flowing up out of the, out of the, out of the grounds. That's why we, can, we don't build basements here in East Texas, because when you start digging into the ground, what are you going to get in East Texas? You're going to get a springs of water uh, coming up, but still we have issues with water in our communities across Texas and I'm sure across these United States of America. Yeah, Mr. Arthur, I want to go ahead. Any comments in regards to that? I think clean water is the issue. You know, it's the issue. Yes, yes. Well, Mr. Arthur, you mentioned something before we move on, uh, and, and because you said that you're going to build a community center there and you, you're going to name it after President uh, Barack Obama. Uh, so yeah, I'm invite so y'all down for all of that. Mm-hmm. Right. So what what are what are your your citizens saying down there? When uh, and the reason why I'm I'm saying this is because I'm I'm kind of playing the devil's advocate. We we wanted to mm-hmm. name uh, something uh, behind one of our our well, the families wanted to name uh, uh, something behind one of their family members who had done a lot of great work uh, as an elected mm-hmm. official in in our community. They wanted that place named after their family member, but you've left out and you've gone and, and gotten uh, our first. Uh, uh, black president to come and mm-hmm. name that facility after him. Well, what, what's your what's your citizens saying in that in your community? Well, first of all, uh, I want to say this: a ten-year project. Uh, this is the first time black folks been got together and did something in this period. Uh, and so, basically, what we're telling what we let folks know is that okay, the park's going to be named Barack Obama Park, but there's other things in the park that's going to have names, right? Okay. Like we're going to have okay. like a baseball field. You know, that's mm-hmm. the new name. We'll, we'll also have a wall of fame, whatever you want to call it, where we put a bunch of people's name up that are mm-hmm. that are snipping in the city. So, uh, sure. you know, so we're not gonna we we we're gonna put Barack Obama name up there because mm-hmm. now gonna, I'm inviting him down, but uh, we can put his name down because see that you know like that needs to be that that area needs that name setting up in it. You know, okay. he, he, you need to be setting up in there down that part of town. Mm-hmm. Now the growth is growing back toward Ennis, which is which is kinda of like the same thing they did going north toward Oklahoma. So it's gonna be a lot of growth. So what we want to do is put put a uh, put an African American uh space up in there, right? Where when you come down if you want to move down there, you'll have some organizations and and so forth that'd be down there to receive you. So, you know, we okay. can to make moving down there a little bit easier. So Okay. Uh but the goal is to hey but but on those coveted properties you know, you were talking about doing community gardens. You know, you can do all kinds of stuff like that. You could do right community gardens. You could do you know, you could do a bunch of things with, you know, with these properties. So you exactly. know, that's part of our legacy, and that's land that they can't steal. Can't steal it. <laughs> can't steal it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, 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 something else you said. You brought out your fraternity brother. 
So so let's talk a little bit about that. This wasn't on my topic tonight, but I always listen. I'm listening to words and listening to what you guys are saying, and it's always mm-hmm. sparking an interest, and it's always sparking my got my, my my brain just going. So so you mentioned your fraternity. So so and then the other thing I want to throw in here, and we, we're going to talk about generational wealth because that's what uh, Pastor Cooper kind of brought us there, talking about mm-hmm. land being taken from our family members and sold for a dollar or a dime, a nickel, a penny, whatever, they, they gave to them crumbs from the table. It's just to say mm-hmm. if it was even a dollar. Can you imagine uh, selling your acreage or somebody taking your acreage and giving you uh, $1? That's an amazing uh, thing mm-hmm. to even just think about. So let's talk a little bit about generational wealth, and then let's talk about, uh, let's talk about uh, Greek uh, fraternities and sororities, mm-hmm. and I'm talking about Black Greek and fraternities and sorority. But, so, um, go well, ahead. okay, go we ahead. just talk about the one dollar thing. Let's talk about the one dollar thing. Okay, and we also have some properties down there that was donated for the school. I'm not going. I'm not going to go all off into it, but the but what the white folks down there did, they went and got them a group of black folks. You know, like I'm telling you about that we ain't know about. Got them okay. to get him the property for a dollar a year for ninety nine years. Now since that time mm-hmm. since that time, uh because they organize as an incorporation, which you can't do, a corporation can't be able to cover the property. You know, they did a bunch of things wrong, but that was the that was the school district that are trying to get hold of that property. And it's what they okay. did was once the well once the, the, the you know, they they failed to turn in the stuff to the uh, uh Secretary of State one year or whatever it was, you know, they let it go out, you know, they went over and knocked the buildings down and built the and then, you know, be at the side. So when we get through with what we're doing over at the park, we're going to go and get with them and tell them we need a raise. A dollar a year ain't enough. We need a raise. Yeah. And so okay. we're going to put the organization that we have now over that properties because, it, it, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. they, they donate these properties to African-American communities. So African-American communities can organize and actually build over those properties building that they knocked down, they built that. But the uh-huh. but the but the property still belongs to the community. So anyway, right. that dollar a year thing. Yeah, uh huh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they be trying to get them for a dollar a year, sure do. And, well I guess that's where year. that all where that all originated from uh because because now we're we're selling off uh city property or other properties uh to people that want to um to start their 501Cs or want to organize. I'm going to use in particular one just recently happened here in our city where uh, we got new fire stations, as all of you know. And so uh, so then that old fire station was sold off to a nonprofit uh, by uh, $1 for five years. And uh, so I, I see now where that actually all came from. Uh, so they're and, and and that's that's good that that's happening in regards to something that that is no longer going to be used, but to mm-hmm. take property uh, land that's a different story. So, but there, we, we, we we have a cemetery we have a cemetery down in Rice a black cemetery, uh, and so recently I've I've worked with some friends on that one. The because down there was a bunch of cows grazing over it, right? You know, and then they got some houses right next door bumped up against it. So yeah, we got to go down and actually, you know, kind of, you know, put some over, you know, kind of create something, to put some, put some over that too, because that's kind of stuff that be happening, and, and should grow, grow out that, you know, grow to that area. Don't if ain't nobody over it, hey, they'll put a high rise up there one day. 
You're absolutely right. Nobody say, yeah, absolutely can't, can't nobody be saying <laughs> won't nobody, won't nobody say nothing. Just like that deal with, with school. If it's 100 years from now, if we don't have organization over that property, well, 100 years from now, you know, they're going to say George Washington Carr was white. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, the other thing about the uh, dollar uh, rent or lease for 100 years is that right. if you're trying to get that property back, I learned this the hard way. You can okay. actually ask them to put it up for sale, and you just have to honor the contract that the city agreed to. Oh. So if there's a if there's an end user that's no longer using it, so it's your property. Then. Well, well, the only thing you have to do is honor about? the contract. Then what type of property are you talking about now? What type of property are you talking about? In, in, like the city. You're saying the city the is city leasing out, out property. Right. Uh, oh, you're selling it. We're selling it for a dollar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they can do that. City and county. Yeah. And, and what they're doing is holding on to the property. And at least now for a dollar, three hundred, four hundred dollars a month for these million dollar properties or buildings even. And uh but what we found out here lately uh, uh lately is because our uh old YMCA uh that had a sixty or a twenty three year lease for like five hundred dollars a month. I forget the exact number, but it's it's, it's cheap. Mm-hmm. The buildings were two two point two million dollars, okay? Uh yeah. uh, uh what's the name? Kate Bailey Hudson, Senator. Yeah, K, K. Bailey Hudson spent $1.5 million redoing the gymnasium. So I know oh, wow. the rest of the facility, five acres of land, is worth at least another $500,000. So this building was leased out to a nonprofit, our Caucasian sister in the black neighborhood. I'm okay with that. But the problem was is that she had five acres of land that she was not utilizing. Uh, that we used to use for the kids in that area to have football, basketball, uh, baseball practice, and we asked her to share the facilities after 5 o'clock when she stopped doing her business and even gave her a, a grace period of one hour to where we wouldn't have our kids there until 6 o'clock. Sure. This facility was, was not utilized to its fullest capacity uh, for four years, and then some young man, I forget his name, uh, for sure, Dr. McKellar, you would know him out of Houston, uh, uh, wealthy okay. uh, African-American guy, purchased the okay. facility, and we didn't think you can do that. He purchased the facility, <laughs> and he honored the lease contract, but when okay. COVID stepped in, her business declined, and she could no longer meet the, 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 the contract. So she forfeited her contract of 23 years and $500 a month or whatever it was, and now the community owns the facility again. Hmm. Is that right? Because someone stepped in and purchased it. Because we put enough pressure right. on, the, on the city council and count, uh, county commissioners because they own it jointly to put it up for sale because they didn't want to uh, mess with it anymore. It was a bad uh, thing in the in the media and the newspaper and local. So. Uh, we as a community, mm-hmm. we put pressure on them to do something, and their something was, oh, we own the contract, and the next owner is going to have to own, own the contract, but we're, we're done with it. We want to sell it. And they sold it maybe for $250,000. And uh, so we're working with this young man now to turn it around. So there, there are ways to work with it. And, and, and exactly what I'm talking to you about is that this is why when I hear movie stars that want to be governor, I'm okay. okay with that. I love movie stars. Uh, <laughs> but show me your resume. Show me what you've okay. done for okay. the past 30-plus yeah. years 
to, to make a difference and how what's your thought process? How are you gonna get us out of this fix that we're in? What are you gonna do to inspect what you expect? What what is your fight plan? What have you done before to, to, to yeah. so we know what your future's gonna be? Because we can't have what we've had this before in, in California with uh, what kind of issues at what kind of issues at your table? What kind of issues at your table, right? What kind of issues at your table? What kind of issues is that they the issue, take? That, that, what kind that's of issues these issues that's at my table is that uh, we're making sure that at the table we're talking about issues that we can make a change, but we need to let people know that we need them to understand that we need to have people and invite them to our table with our issues to make those changes mm-hmm. qualified at the table. Because sometimes if you don't toot your horn, they never know and they never hear. So we have to let people know that we are qualified. There was a young man in Dallas that said he's going to run for attorney general. The other folks are yeah. called it Dr. McKellis said that uh, yeah. that's going to run in state positions. So I'm not just tooting my own. Mm-hmm. I'm tooting everyone's horn that's right. qualified to take these positions in these communities. And I saw the invite that she made to anyone who's run for public office. They need to get on these phone calls. And she invited. She did her part. She opened up her phone lines <laughs> to the community. So they yeah. need to wake up and, and show up and let them know their resume. They have to do it. Exactly. Well, and I'm, question, and I'm so glad. Question. Go, ahead, go ahead, Mr. Arthur. My, 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 okay, Mike, as we have these uh, different candidates that's coming out uh, to run uh, statewide, we got, of course, Mr. Mayor run for Attorney General. We got yourself, mm-hmm. uh, and then we'll see who else going to run. Do you have any right. plans to uh, to uh, uh, provide any kind of leadership for this uh, 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 upcoming election for the down ballot candidates? You got any plans and, for that? And, and, and Mr. Arthur. Mr. Arthur, if if I can inject, that's going to be on the second half of our show. So, so oh, okay. hold that question yeah. right there right, because right. the uh, right. the other uh, statewide candidates will be on with us, and then right. we will okay, put great. those out there to uh, to uh, Pastor Cooper and our next one that's going to be she should be coming in pretty shortly. And I'm glad. We keep going. <laughs> yes, yes. Because uh, I, I want I want to look at a couple more things before we actually get over into that. Because okay. Mr. Arthur really sparked right. my interest uh, when he mentioned uh, the Greeks and his fraternity brothers. We know, and and we and we're uh, I, I'm in the sorority. He's in fraternity, and so so I'm I'm gonna go straight to 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 this question uh, that uh, that is just burning. Uh, on on some some of the people's minds that are, are listening to us, and so so the question would be: Now we know why HBCUs were established. We know that we know that that blacks were not allowed to go to the predominantly white schools, and so therefore our ancestors uh, organized, came together, started out in where the churches, of course, uh, and started to establish. Uh, HBCUs across the nation. We we have three right here in East Texas: Wiley College, Jarvis Christian College, and then here in Tyler, uh, Texas College. So we're really blessed. And then of course uh, there's uh, HBCU there in in Houston, Texas. All over Texas we have them. So Mr. Arthur mentioned uh, his fraternity, and so a question always comes up. Uh, there, there's some uh, people of Caucasian persuasions who wanted to join uh, the quote-unquote the predominantly black Greeks that were established on the uh, college campuses of HBCUs. Mm-hmm. So the question always comes up, why 
why would a Caucasian person want to join uh, a Greek uh, fraternity and sorority that was established on HBCUs that was established in particularly uh, for the uh, for the growth and development of, of African Americans, for them to find their space uh, and be proud uh, to be who they are, and and help them to be emboldened into their community, learning more about their community and the curiosity about themselves. I'll start with you, Mr. Arthur. Why do you think uh, that? And, and this question has come up several times in in some of our meetings uh, passed down through the years. So, well, well, what you, what's your thought process on that? Well, well, well. Now I'm not gonna solely go by Mr. Moran because I, I do have some other white fraternity brothers, an excellent Spanish too. But anyway, uh, but uh, but Mr. Moran, he's looking like a Manchurian candidate. What you kind of I mean? candidate? You you faded out. What kind of candidate? Manchurian. Oh, okay, okay. I I got you. Go ahead. Yeah, he's like that. He's like that Trojan horse, you know what I mean? You know, start, you know, roll that horse up in here, and then he hops out. And, and I don't know what, like I've talked to him, uh, like he was up here in Dallas, because he was up here, in, uh, up here on the school board up here uh, doing stuff. And so, and I've talked to him, uh, you know, but, he, you know, he's, he's, he, he, he got this hook up with Abingdon and so forth. And like you say, yeah, he, yeah, he, he wasn't a teacher, wasn't none of that. And so, right. uh, you know, uh, uh, I say, say not, not again. I know some folks that they're supposed to know him, and so like again, you know, I'm kind of I'm disappointed in. That's all I can say. In, okay, and um, so he so he crossed in your, in your graduate chapter, your personal. No, graduate chapter. no, no. He went. He crossed over in college. Is that right? How college. long ago was that? How long uh, ago was just, that? It was on. He he went to one of East Coast college. It, it was like. Uh, I guess I guess for Marath, he 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 probably them early '90s fellas. I didn't I didn't even real because we were not looking at that, and I'm going to go to the sororities. We were not looking at that uh, in in the early '90s. We actually didn't have anybody who who actually applied or wanted to become a part until much much later uh, in in oh, yeah, our we sorority. Are, we, we, well, we we had one in the '70s. We had one in the '70s, and I told the brothers, I said, yeah, I said, I ain't going to jail. Oh no. Uh-uh. What, and that means what exactly? Uh, well, you know, you know how white folks kind of bruise up a little bit. You know when they fall sometimes. Oh. And, 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 <laughs> okay. Oh, back then. Well, we don't do that anymore. So. And I wasn't going to jail. <laughs> yeah, I, I got you. I understand. I ain't going to jail. Okay. He called up. Okay. The, he called up the news. He called up the news media. They want to come down. To, you know, I, I think he was in the interest group. They want to come down. Anybody say, "Ah, oh, nah, that's too much." And then so, uh, <laughs> and then so, I was trying to figure out. Look here, look here. So I was trying to figure out why he wanted to join a white. This like in seven. This like seventy eight, seventy nine. Not trying to figure out. You know why he wanted to be in a black attorney. So I asked him. So I asked him you know, if he liked black girls. You know that type of thing. Oh no! Oh no, big brother! You know all this kind of stuff. I said, "Oh oh, mm-hmm. you don't like black girls." I don't know why. But anyway, so anyway, so <laughs> later on, long story short, <laughs> long story short, uh, he wound up getting offline, and it turns out, you know, he 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 was gay, and he came out gay to his dad, and his dad and his dad, you know, he, he didn't take you know, white boy, you know, so, you know, they didn't take it lightly, so they was kind of, you know, so he wanted to pay them back. 
Okay. You know, by being by being a black paternity, yeah. So he did cross, mm. is what you're saying. No, uh, no, he didn't make it. No, okay. uh, uh, no, he didn't okay. make it. Okay, okay, I got no, it. No, he didn't make it. No, no, and I told Nick Bond go talk to him. Nick Bond go talk to him. Miss <laughs> Rihanna, I hear you in the background, Miss Rihanna. You have any comments? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Arthur is hilarious. What can, I, what can I say? This is too funny. <laughs> I know he is. He always is. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about generational wealth then, um, because that's another direction that, that Mr. Arthur, or maybe Pastor Cooper, I think it was, that guided my direction, my mm-hmm. mind into that direction. Because people were saying, uh, oh, my goodness, can you believe Blue Ivy? Uh, she won a Grammy Award at at nine years of age. And so uh, some people were, were shocked uh, <laughs> of how young she is. And so then I thought, what did you think? I thought, well, there's generational wealth. That's not that's not yeah. really surprising. Besides, she she worked right along with her mother, right? But uh, comments, Miss mm-hmm. Brianna, any comments from you on that? That's, <laughs> that's not surprising. At least, it wasn't surprising. To at me. least the child, she's talented. She yes, earned she it. Is. She did the work. Mm-hmm. And mediocre to poor, uh, poorly performing white folks have been mm-hmm. riding the coattails of nepotism and. <laughs> You know, okay. all kinds of stuff for for hundreds of years. So, you know, to you know, I think any shock is probably coming from people who are just used to seeing um, seeing paler <laughs> complexed folk uh, win unearned things, <laughs> and then they see you know a talented, you know, really talented young person like that, and they, oh, what's this? I've never seen yeah. this before. Sure you have, right? <laughs> sure, exactly. Yeah, she she's quite quite talented, uh, young lady. Yes. Quite. So, come in, gentlemen. What what is, what is your thoughts in regards to uh, that? Miss Rihanna laid that out pretty good. That uh, we it's not that we have not seen this kind of thing before. We just maybe have not seen it uh, among the African American community. Uh, Miss Arthur, any comments for you in regards to that? No, let Mike go first, Mike. No. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, I, I just thank Mr. Rihanna for being honest. I mean, th- this has been going on again uh, four generations now. Uh, you know, when you continue to pass down the legacy uh, and the money, uh, it makes it a lot easier when you are Jerry Jones and you have a father that's been an insurance salesman mm-hmm. for years. And insurance salesman years ago were not regulated by the state, and so they were doing things above board, under board, underhanded. You name it. And they were making generations of money, and they were passing mm-hmm. on. So he was able to go and borrow a million dollars and fail the first time as a business adventure. Yeah, you know, okay. I just learned this information for some reason. I don't know why. But anyway, uh, Jerry Jones failed with his first million dollars, just like uh, that guy that was uh, the president before President mm-hmm. Biden here. Uh, you know, he, he borrowed money, and people don't realize this because I've been watching him for years. Uh, his spending habits were so out of line that they had to put him on $50,000 a month budget because he couldn't balance a, a checkbook. So how in the world was he going to balance a, a trillions of dollars uh, a deficit in the economy and lead us through a COVID? So if he failed then, he's going to fail us. So uh, Jerry Jones then went back and borrowed a million dollars again from his father, probably second generation of money, uh, or third, mm-hmm. and he had, 
the lotto with seven uh, oil wells that were dead in 1967. They all hit 1970, and he became a multi-billionaire. Yeah. And he spread wow. the wealth with his friends that he went to college with. One of them is Jimmy Johnson. Yeah. And became the head of the Dallas Cowboys. He was his roommate yes. when he played football yes. in college. And and again, like Miss Rihanna said, a lot of times there are folks that are in position and they're not even talented enough for the positions That's that right. the parents place them into. But because of the money and the support and the backing, you have to go along with it. So he made Jerry Jones, I mean Jerry, I mean Jimmy Johnson, a superstar. Now, let me give you yeah. some more history, and y'all can stop me okay. here to run out of time. Southeast Texas is the football capital of the uh, the world, and we're still pushing out pro football players. Go back to Toby, mm-hmm. uh, Tony Smith, Bubba Smith, uh, uh, Joe Washington. Well, Miller Melfar, Melfar, my cousin, uh, Jared Levice. Yeah, I mean, you can just go on and on and on. And then you go throughout Texas and just get even bigger, and because I have no uh, Jeff uh, – uh, I think Barano that's in Dallas. He's over the Football Hall of Fame uh, retirees here in Texas. My point again is this though: that those guys had generational money, and they sustained mm-hmm. others to continue that. And I'm so glad to see people like Beyonce do it with her children, because there's a guy by the name of Simon Call that mm-hmm. said he's going to take his son yeah. out of school at 10 years of age, and by the time he's 20, he's going to be a multi-billionaire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, see the main I'm thing, so brother, but making and the main thing to be is generational wealth, and and and, and of course we're in this system, but uh, you know we don't have institutions within our community to hold on to it, right. where it can stay with us, right? Right, and that's what we right. have to, and that's our next goal is to build is to build that where we can uh, again, you know, you know, hold on our dollars, let them turn over more than uh, two times or. Two and a half times, whatever it is now. Well, we're not. Uh, you know, it needs to turn over about out. six, seven, eight times for it leave. So that's where we're trying well, to get well, to. It, 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 it shouldn't leave. Why, why should, let me help you. See, I, 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 I'm going to stress you now. Okay. You, okay. you push me. I'm going to push you. It should not leave. Uh, and mm-hmm. I learned this from my father. We had five companies growing up. We, we're from East Texas. Mm-hmm. We were sugar crop mm-hmm. growers, and then we became sharecroppers because they took our land, so we had to share what? the land they took from us. Now, I'm going to say sure, that again, sure. I'm going to get this on the way home. I got uh, it. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> We're from Magnolia Springs. You talking about those spring wells and stuff like that? In Magnolia yes, Springs, yes. they're building multi-million dollar houses on the land that our uh, homestead is still standing. So sad. You know, it's so sad. And what's really sad, Miss Rihanna just, she nailed it. Because uh, during the conversation, see, I read these articles. There was just all kinds of conversation about why this nine-year-old baby, why should she get the highest music award? She's only nine years of age is what, and this this was a Caucasian uh, dialogue uh, about, Blue Ivy winning uh, brown skin girl, a musical. I mean, they, they they just was kind of furious about it. These white colleagues that were blurting out, but mm-hmm. she's just a baby with a Grammy. Why would a baby have a Grammy? But what did Miss Rihanna tell us? <laughs> it's not anything new, right? It's been happening over on the other side of the fence. I but now that it's happened on this, on, yes, on this generation. Shirley well, Temple, over here on this side. Drew Barrymore. Oh, Barry <laughs> Where you been, I mean, sir? Yes, he did. On the 14th of March, when they had the Grammy, Blue Ivy. Well, you should say. 
Well, okay, we well, okay, ain't know that. And so, and, and so yeah. now, folks, mad because Blue Ivy won. But See, we folks, can't enjoy nothing too long, can we? We we we, we, we trying folks. to enjoy our stuff. Yeah, they come I mean, I mean to have to have a colleague uh, on the phone and blurting it out, a white colleague, they said that blurted it out. But she's just a baby. Why would she have a Grammy? It's well, called a prodigy. Guess, guess what? She has one, and it cannot be taken away from her. Right? It's her. Right. It's called That's a prodigy. Right. It's called a prodigy. It's, it's a prodigy. Exactly. It's it's so look at her parents. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. She's, she's talented. I mean, she, she's Jay-Z and Beyonce both are talented. Mm-hmm. Uh, they I mean, she has the James. Right, she has the James, but this is still the first generation of that kind of wealth. Her right, grandparents exactly have right. that kind of wealth. So, and, that, and that's my point. So we're three generations behind, and, and these are the kind of things right. I sit up and, and talk about, and my wife says, please go to bed. And I can't because uh, I have the knowledge <laughs> I, I, I can't. I have the knowledge, as much as I'm really the story of mm-hmm. tonight. Uh, there are a lot of other fields. I, I have a godmother. She's like a mother to me. My mother died in 1998, and I cried on this lady's shoulder. I'm six six. She's five two. I don't know how her her neck came up to me at that height, but she held me up, and I, I did not fall. She worked in central supplies. You you guys worked in medical uh, industry, and you know central supplies control everything. You make them mad, you will not receive the statin uh, card. Again, the crash card again. You would not receive all of your refills for your needles and butterflies and things like that. So uh, I work right. in the hospital, so I know a little bit about that. So my point, yeah. though, is this. You made friends with her, but they would not give her the pay raise or give her the title of supervisor for over three years, and she had no one else in her department but herself. Mm-hmm. Wow. This um, has been going on for Mike, Mike, but, uh, hey, Mike yes. that's a standard thing with black women in yes. in big businesses and middle businesses. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of women that, that when they left yes. their jobs, them people had to hire about three people. Three people. She did a job with and they wouldn't pay them. They wouldn't pay them what I was there, and they work them like that. My cousin got caught up one of them things, like saying, I, like I got, a, I, I talked to you know, you know, showed her what her work was. You know, she went on got up out of there, but I told, her, I say, I said, baby, look. I said, they, I say they don't want you to go to college. They want you to, you know, they want to work you just like they're working you, you know, just like you had a master's exactly. degree. And then when something happens, you're just going to hire nothing. So, you know, yeah, young, it, it, that's the standard thing. That's the standard thing, I'm telling you. The young uh, Caucasian uh, young lady came along, and uh, they trained her. But when she was handing her a check, acting like the supervisor, because when the person came along to give out the check, the, uh, my godmother the checks, to give to the new employee. Now, keep in mind, you have to put somebody on paper that they're the supervisor of that department. Her check was double the amount that she was earning, and on it, it said supervisor. Yeah. Now, watch this. This goes on throughout all kinds of communities, and including the, community, the, uh, the, the business I've been in, and I've seen it happen. And mm-hmm. these are the reasons why... I fight so hard as a president of NAACP, and I have a problem. Y'all talk about fraternities. I have a problem with folks that are, and I don't care if you're black, white, or Hispanic, and you join NAACP, but don't just buy a, 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 a life membership. Just say you're a member and do nothing for the for the community and go. do nothing for the organization. Yes, yeah. so exactly. that's very, my very issue good. with that. 
Very well put. Very well put. Uh, Ms. Rihanna, I'm going to ask you to open line 713-882 number if you see that on the board. And so we're going to bring Ms. Carl Davis in. You don't see that yet? Okay. All right. He's going to come in uh, shortly. But uh, but that that is just absolutely correct, uh, Pastor Cooper. Mm-hmm. Don't just join the organization just to see what's going on, just to be nosy, just to pull our information and take it somewhere Get else email. or let somebody yeah. else know uh, what is actually going on among us and not, not to – not to sound like we're suspicious of people, but but that that was a that's been a question that has been out there for a long time in regards to why why people would want to join the Greek. Now we know that there was a lot of people who worked hand in hand uh, back in the day with with uh, Dr. King and and during the NAA, with the NAACP and wanting to see equality and justice for all mankind. We we know that there was a lot of people that marched across that Edmund Pettus Bridge with uh, with uh, the late John Lewis and 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 because it takes people like Miss Rihanna and like some of our other friends, Dr. Nancy Nichols and some of the other people who really want to see justice and equality for all uh, take place. But there are some people that you're not real sure about, right? We're just not. Right. We're just not real sure about, right. <laughs> and that's the way it is. You need to be sure about that. Historically, a fact. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and, and, and so some people have given us reasons uh, not to be. Would you? Would yeah. you want? Uh, would you want Mitch McConnell in your in your fraternity, exactly. uh, Mr. Arthur? <clears throat> see, now, 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 see, we take his number. I, I, I go. I protest him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you protested. Not happening. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Well, I, I don't know if our special guest is in yet. Um, our other special guest, Mr. Uh, Pastor Cooper, is one of our special regular guests, and we're so happy to have him. But but there's a 281 number on the board, and if uh, that is a number where you should be coming in, just uh, just jump in and, yes, and tell us who you are. Number. That, exactly. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's a Houston number. Well, you guys were mentioning you outlined all of those football players and all, but let me ask you, does anybody know this name right here, Clint Murkison? Does anybody recognize yeah, that name? Oh, oh, Clint. Okay. So we know who starts. Well, let me just tell you my experience with Clint Murkison. As you know, there's a little small town, Mr. Arthur and, and, and uh, Pastor Cooper, you both probably know right outside of Athens, Texas, before you get into Athens, Texas, going west, there's a, a town called Murkison. And so that town was named after Clint Murkison's family. And so he actually was my patient my first early on in my career when I finished wow. college. And, yeah, and so they they handpicked they handpicked certain nurses to take care of Clint Murkison, and I was the only African American that was handpicked to take care of mm. him until he passed away. So he oh, had this right. elaborate suite that was set up at the hospital, and yes, uh, because you know he was flowing with money. So at any hey. rate, that's my. Yeah, that was my that was my first patient that was was a noted patient that everybody everywhere knew who he was. But of course, you you couldn't talk about that he was your patient. I mean, you wouldn't talk about that any anyways because that's just HIPAA kind of thing that you wouldn't talk about. But I thought about that thought about him when uh, when you mentioned that. Okay, let let's uh, let's move on over. Then uh, we're waiting. Uh, 
for our, our next guest to come in, but we're going to go ahead and get started. I believe with, that uh, person's on. That's okay. Uh, attorney, are you there? Attorney Johnson? Okay, the 281 number, you can jump in if you're, if you're planning to speak uh, with us tonight. Now, oh, it's oh, the 713 oh. line that I opened. I'm sorry. There's, are you going okay, to say anything about it? Uh, Houston. Okay. 713, would you like to join in and let us know who you are? His number is, the, is it 713-882, Ms. Rihanna? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, hello, uh, Dr. Yeah. Yes, hello, Dr. Hi. McKellar. And- your, uh, your guest on tonight out here, uh, my good friend, uh, Reverend Pastor Michael Cooper. And I've been listening <laughs> yes, to do. some of the discussion. Hey, hello, my brother. Have, How you have, doing? Yeah. Doing, great, doing great. Doing great. Well. How you doing? Yeah. How you doing, sir? Mr. Arthur, do you know uh, Mr. Carl Davis? Everybody in Texas is supposed to know Mr. Carl Davis, even even outside of Texas. Miss Rihanna knows Mr. Carl Davis from being in, in Washington, D.C. during right. the Congressional Black Caucus. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Mr. Davis. It's great to have you on tonight. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity, and thank you. As I was sitting listening to the discussion, it's very interesting, uh, and I'm glad to be on tonight. Uh, I think Ursula has, has called in, too. She should be on the line. Has she come on yet? Okay. Well, oh, she sent me a text message. Uh, Attorney Johnson, Ursa Johnson, if you're on, uh, you can uh, come right in and join in on the conversation as well. Can you hear me? Yes, there she is. Good evening. How are you doing, ma'am? Welcome to Marvelous Monday. It's great to have Houstonians on with us tonight. Yeah, I was enjoying it. I was trying to speak, but I, I, I guess I was muted. <laughs> Nobody could hear me. <laughs> Yes, yes, you were muted, but now's your time. You can speak right now because we're going we're gonna to turn this show kind of over to listen to you and Pastor Cooper. So go ahead and, and make our, your announcement to our audience, what your plans are, what you're going to run for, and so forth. And then we're ready for a great dialogue for this next hour. Go right ahead. Well, sounds good. Pastor Cooper, I enjoyed listening to you. I want you to know I am a lifetime worker, and I'm definitely a worker. I'm a lifetime member of the NAACP, and I'm definitely a worker bee. Uh, and, and I came on just to announce that I am throwing my hat in for chair of the Texas Democratic Party, and I'm, I'm doing that for a lot of reasons. A lot of you don't know me, so I'll give you a little bit about a, a background. You know what I, what I, who I am, what I've been doing. Uh, I have been involved in politics pretty much since uh, the Jesse Jackson campaign, and I've worked on every single thing there is pretty much in, in you know volunteering. I've been a re- I registered voters, made phone calls, canvassed. Uh, organized groups. I was even an election protection volunteer. I've been a precinct chair both in Harris County and in Montgomery County, and currently still, uh, I'm still one. I've been a poll watcher, election judge, a volunteer, deputy register. It it just goes on. And just in January, thank you. And just in January, (laughs) we hosted uh, President Biden at our house for a fundraiser. So, you know, I've been raising... Yeah, I've been raising money. But, you know, and just a little bit about, you know, why I feel so passionate about this and why I need your support. You know, it's three major things that 
kind of got me to this point. It first started off when I started this little organization, which is for is 2016. I went to the Democratic Convention, came back energized with all these these um, ideas, and what I wanted to do is call myself Turning Texas Blue. I was finding a way to do it. So I I started looking at things we were doing, like registering voters, and I thought, how can we be more effective? And one of the things I thought about is let's internalize voter registration. What I I meant by that is we went to beauty shops, barbershops, we went to churches, we went to senior citizens' facilities, and we we got them to uh, um, uh, get their people deputized. And one of the things I, I knew that we go, especially the African-American community, we spend a lot of time in barbershops and beauty shops. And I thought, you know, if, if they were deputized, and, and, and we just did it to a small degree, but think if we did it across the state where every Democratic stronghold that people frequented had people that could actually register voters. And then, and then I start thinking about churches. You know, churches are, they're the savior as far as voting because, you know, that's where we conjugate the most. So I went and asked pastors if they would nominate people to register voters on Sundays. You know, they could have done it during the week. I did it at our church during the week, and people that are part of our team did it in respective churches. But a lot of them did it once a month. And, but we try to do it every single Sunday. That way, you don't wait till it's time for the, the election. We've done it all year for two years straight. Do you understand the impact of that? Especially because one of the other things that people can do when they can check and make sure they are registered. And then not only that, when it comes time for the voting, we can focus more on not just registering, but getting out the vote, making sure those people that we registered do vote. One of the unique things we did is we had them, we, you know, you can't collect telephone numbers. So we had a separate piece of paper, and we asked them when we registered, is it okay that we call you? We're not going to give out the number to anybody except for we're going to call you on things that are pertaining to the election. And people would, I mean, I would say eight out of ten people would actually give us their number because we got to get good, uh, good data. Another thing that we did is we went to the courthouses, and we would register people in front of the courthouses and even in the jails, because as you know, that for the jails, if you're a spouse, you can register your husband, and if you're a parent, you can register your child with their permission. So we went, we went to the jails. The thing that hurt us at that, how we got blocked there, though, is although we were able to register them, as long as they're not on paper, but we had a Republican uh, um, sheriff at the time, and when it was time for us to try to go in and get the ballots by mail to him, he kept moving the appointment, moving the appointment, and he finally uh, uh, set it for after it was too late for early vote, uh, uh, the, the ballot things. But it was, it was those kind of things that were unique that worked, and it made me also appreciate the, the impact of the youth. Of the youth. What happened is we have a family of lawyers, and three of my kids, they actually work down at that courthouse. So while we, you know, the older people like me, we were out there during the day, and they would come out and help us during the lunch hour. On one particular instance, I'll never forget it, it was this 
young Hispanic guy that came out and I said, are you registered to vote? And he went into, you know, it's crooked. I'm not registered. It doesn't help. Yada, yada. It went on and on. And it, my daughter was coming out right about that time, my, after my daughter and my son. And my daughter walked up to him and she says to him, she said, if you don't like what's going on in that courthouse, if you, that's the reason you want to vote, because you can vote them out. And they start right. chanting, vote them out for the next two and a half hours. I never had so much <laughs> excitement at that courthouse and registering voters <laughs> than that day. But it impressed on me the power of the youth and how they speak right. their language. I never, it, it never even dawned on me at that point, you know, how she presented that. And then after that, I thought to myself, I said, well, I asked her and her, a group of them, if they would put it together. I called it a dancing in the street voter registration drive. So I talked to um, the city officials, and they let us do it downtown uh, across the street. It was in the theater district. Uh, I can't think of the name of the the place, but it's it's right right up the street from our, um, in Harris County. It was uh, from the city hall. So long and short of it, we got people to volunteer, a young talent. They had uh, gospel, they had rappers, they had singers. It was, and we had a flyer. And that's where you got all these young people to come to this free concert. And I, I, I supplied, like we did hot dogs, hamburgers, nachos, you know, just a little finger thing, but it was enough. And that's what I'm saying. We got to drive some excitement. And that's what I think I'm, you know, I'm really good at doing. And then the other thing is started off with Turn Texas Blue. But then last uh, the election cycle, my daughter ran for judge, and I was her campaign manager. And uh, uh, in doing that, I was pretty much and at all won. of the voting sites. Oh, she what was won. That? That's how, I didn't and know she that. Won. She won. Don't leave off that part. But that that's that what what I was what I wanted to emphasize is it started making me see how if we could work together more. Uh, we were paying yeah. money to have people pass out flyers and all of that, and then I would see our, our, our different associations at the at the ballot place sitting out in chairs letting people hand out stuff. And I thought, this is not smart. Y'all could be out here instead of us paying people. To, and I was helping all the candidates that I could, not just my daughter, but I'm giving out yes. slates. I'm giving out different things. And I thought, here they are sitting at the table. And you saw that play out over and over again. And I'm like, we got to use our associations and resources smarter. Had we asked them, extended a hand and say, this is what we needed, I'm sure that would have happened. But you got to have that leadership up top to do it. And last but not least, uh, the third thing that got me to this moment is my husband and I went down to work on the uh, Warnoff-Oshawa's campaign. And okay. when I got there, you saw that the, the media, I, I mean, the Republicans were killing us. They were slaughtering us on the media. And everywhere you go, they was dominating. So I thought, call back to Texas. We don't have election going on. And I, I, I talked a representative from the Harris County Democratic Party, Montgomery Democratic Party, where I am, and the Texas Democratic Party, and said both of the campaigns have agreed to set up a designated line for us 
They'll give us training, and all we need to do is give our volunteers. And I thought, if we could do this in a massive, send volunteers that they didn't got to go because of COVID, but they can make those calls. And and I'm telling you, it, it, it just fell on deaf ears, and it frustrated me. I got people that I knew to call them, to tell them Texas to make the calls. But that that was a little scale. This could have been, you know, something really magnificent. And then you think of the rural areas. We, we were slaughtered in those rural areas. Why? Because we didn't give them the resources. We weren't there That's visible. It. And, and maybe it. they don't necessarily have all the resources that the bigger cities have. But what we can be is equalizers. We can volunteer. We can send groups. I want to have, if I'm to the chair, I want to have a master voter registration list that we can just send out when we need it for special elections in different places and to say, these people need us. We have an abundance in the big cities, but not necessarily the little rural areas. So we got to be about the business of not just uh, um, uh, uh, to stand their part, but we got to be out there in there supporting them, and I plan to go on a road show to um, uh, every single county in in Texas yeah. because I think you got to be visible. they got to see you and be excited about you and know that you care and that if, somehow we're going to find a way to help you. So I'm running because I think that you, I think we have a good situation. I want to say that first. I'm not running <laughs> against some, anybody. I'm running for something. We are in a Good you but have you there ever you heard where they say good is better's worst enemy? Good is yeah. I think I can do a better job, but so many yeah. people there they think, well, this is good, we're doing okay. But if we were really doing okay, we would be we're blue right okay. now because we really should <laughs> be right. blue. So that is the and reason that I'm running. I would love to have your support. I'm I'm definitely coming, you, you know, mine. coming your way. And, you know, I'm willing to meet with anybody. And when I do come, it's not to really talk about me, but it's to put the programs in place that we did for Turn Texas Blue, to get that going because it was effective. And if we get into these Democratic strongholds, it's an easy way to make sure that we have the numbers that we need and not just the numbers. We're collecting the data to actually get them out when it's time to vote. Wow. wow. Let me tell you what, uh, Attorney, uh, we are fired up and ready to go as President I'm Obama fired up would say. <laughs> you know, that that's amazing what, what you just laid out. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm so glad you brought in Georgia because Texas helped, and we've said this on, on our shows, we said this on Marvelous Monday, Texas helped to elect those two senators out of Georgia. I made, personally made 3,000 phone calls through the NAACP down to Atlanta, Georgia. So you are absolutely correct. And I believe that, that the Demo- where we mess up with the Democratic Party is that we don't coordinate campaigns. Now, you're on with Pastor Cooper. We're going to hear from him and let him say anything that he needs to say in regards to some of the things that you've said. Uh, and and, and I'm, I'm just so excited the fact that you're doing this uh, because we need more more blacks in these offices across the nation. It's just not balanced. Everybody knows it's not balanced. Uh, it's out of balance, as a matter of fact. Uh, and we ha- and and that includes women. We have so few women uh, in Washington D.C. or in, in in positions all across the state. 
every state. And so, Pastor Cooper, we're going to bring you in, and we're going to ask that the person who is not speaking, if you can mute your phone because we're getting a little background noise here. So if you're not speaking, uh, please mute your phones. Okay. So uh, let me let me just throw this out there a little bit more about uh, Attorney uh, Ursa Johnson. Her entire family uh, are, are um attorneys. And so uh, Ms. Rihanna knows that when we were in Washington, D.C., the uh, Johnsons always were very hospitable to us because they always had a place there. And, and we thank attorney Lonnie Johnson, her husband, who was always uh, supportive of us when we were all out there in uh, Washington, D.C. together, because that was kind of one of his second homes, so to speak, because he, he worked uh, closely on the Hill there. So, Pastor Cooper, jump on back in, because we're talking about the great state of Texas and how we're going to be able to coordinate these campaigns and pull people together and get our voters out to the polls to vote. We know right now, right now, we have a special election going on, and I think Attorney Ursa mentioned that we have a special election going on in D6 right now, just uh, uh Congressional District 6, where Ron Wright passed away uh, with COVID. We know that. And so we have, we have a lot of candidates, that probably about 20 of them, that's running uh, that race right now. But Pastor Cooper, join in and uh, make your comments in regards to some of the things that uh, Attorney said. Well, uh, first of all, uh, thank you, uh, Sister Johnson, for running your race. And I love the way that you're running. Matter of fact, I think it's time to pass the plate. Uh, well done, well done, well done. <laughs> I'm telling uh, you. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. It, you know, it, it, now, now I see why that whole family is, is uh, the way it is. Matter of fact, Carl Davis, I hope he's still listening. It's because of Carl Davis that gets me in trouble, good trouble, and uh, Ms. Johnson's uh, husband. Matter of fact, I hadn't met her yet, but I met her husband, and uh, she kept, he kept me all night in my ear, and uh, – I didn't know I was going to run for governor uh, until I had that conversation with her husband and with Carl Davis after he put me on the spot and my campaign manager. And they all saying the same thing. And, and, and I'm glad to hear that she's putting her money where her mouth is uh, because of the fact that she's putting her feet to the street. And it's 254 counties, and either she's going to be there or I'm going to be there, and we're going to be going out in and out of those counties, making a difference, and she's right. And, and I'm going to use a word and a phrase that her husband used. He said, we have to run unapologetic, representing the urban community, because when we do better in the urban community, like she said earlier, the entire state does better. Absolutely. You're 100% correct. And I'm going to tell you, people who know me know that I kick and scream and holler all the time about rural community, rural East Texas, and how we have always been overlooked from Austin, Texas. And it's no secret. I want people to know we have been overlooked. Uh, by the Democratic Party out of Austin, Texas. And, and we've had these promises made, but promises have not uh, been kept. So, uh, so I, I, once again, I am, I'm so excited to hear you uh, uh, dialogue and give your exegesis on what you want to see happen uh, for the state of Texas. And, all, and you're all inclusive. And so we appreciate, we really appreciate uh, what you're presenting to us. Anybody have any questions uh, of uh, 
of these two candidates. And I don't know if uh, Mr. Davis wants to jump in and have any comments in regards to uh, but But let me just tell you about Mr. Carl Davis. Mr. Carl Davis is all, he, when he looks out at, at individuals and he sees a talent and a skill, then he begins to promote and encourage people. And I really love that about Carl Davis. Yes. Carl, you can come in and have some comments, please, sir. I'm just so excited about the conversation tonight, uh, everyone who's on the call. And you heard the energy uh, that was shown by Ursula Johnson. I mean, so much yes, energy sir. and excitement about uh, what her vision is and how what yeah. it takes to uh, to turn this state blue. And it's going to take all of us working together. And I think this is the very beginning of, of, of greatness for Texas. Uh, one of the things I want to comment on is, yeah, yeah, I heard y'all reference uh, Eartha mentioned uh, Georgia. I was in Georgia for a couple of days. But we can use that model here in Texas if we all work together for one company. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think that uh, 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 the energy that you heard from Eartha, you know, it wasn't lack of days. You can see that she is uh, ready to hit the ground. She has great plans. Yes, and it's all, I hear her vision. And, you know, if we all can capture her vision, we can take it to a whole nother level. And as far as the rule is concerned, uh, 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 in 2018, I came to East Texas to help uh, uh, Shirley McKellen. Yes, you and, did. Uh, it just don't and happen. Tell, tell, them who you brought, tell them who you brought to East Texas, uh, <laughs> Mr. Davis. <laughs> it just so happened I was after the primary, uh, primary uh, we, Chris Feldman, who was running for Texas Railroad Commission at the time, we had made a commitment to Virgil Rollins, who was the D, who is the DNC uh, Black Caucus chair, that we would come to D.C. Uh, and that was a couple of days after the election. Uh, Chris didn't win, but we kept our commitment to uh, Virgil Rollins, Chairman Virgil Rollins. And while we were in the Black Caucus meeting, uh, uh, Jamie Harrison came in, and he talked about traveling this country, working, uh, uh, trying to energized and turn out the rural vote. So after that meeting, I caught him outside, and I wrestled, I turned his ear upside down, and we were able to get him to come to Texas. Uh, he came to Texas uh, to help East Texas, and it was awesome that we uh, toured five different counties. Yes, and sir. what was so interesting uh, and was so good, interesting, all of the counties had black county chiefs. And That's the right. people were turned out. They turned out in large numbers because, you know, you had uh, Jamie here that came in. You had Congressman Sheila Jackson Lee. And you also had Chris Holland. All three of us uh, was there uh, along with Jamie. But it was just beautiful to see. Uh, even though we was running behind schedule, uh, the people waited. That's and right. It, and it told me that they, it energized them to have someone to pay attention to them. And just imagine if um, – Jamie was co-chair of the DNC. If we could get him here as the chair, you know, we get the media following him, that would be right. powerful. Those who were not powerful. able to come there to see and could see about it on TV, you know, and that would help mobilize the community, uh, the rural community. And I think it was excellent opportunity uh, to have that opportunity with uh, Dr. Shirley McKellen. She put an a, a awesome Tour together. Can you remember those? I know we started in Marshall, then we went to Upshur County, <laughs> yes, we, then we, we went to uh, uh, Titus County, then we went to Smith County, Mip and we were the last <laughs> yes. county. We went to. Uh, 
Let's see. A Marion, we went to Marion County. That We were way at the, at the tip end of, of the mm-hmm. counties up there. It was, it was just, it was awesome. And we, we, we jumped all over East Texas, driving everywhere. Ended up at Texas College on the campus of Texas College April to talk to the students there at the HBCU. The students, that's right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. cafeteria full of students, energized. Uh, exactly. Then, uh, exactly. The, and we left there. We went up near Dallas. Uh, because Jamie left mm-hmm. there, went to the airport. It was a small, but exactly. the lady held her people there, room full of folks. And it was just exciting for those people. Exactly. And, and what it told me is that there needs to be more work done there in the rural county, you know, because Absolutely. there are large populations of African American there, but we need to touch them more. That's what they told Absolutely. me. But uh, this is just the beginning of some great things we're going to do. If we all come together as one, we can make it happen. Thank you so much for all Amen. that you do, uh, uh, Dr. Shirley McKellar who is a strong, strong advocate, you know, uh, for the rural area. And I greatly appreciate her for that. And and greatly appreciate you, uh, Carl, and all the work that that you really do. I want I want to ask and, and remember remember coordinated campaigns. Both uh, Pastor Cooper and Attorney Ertha have to travel to 254 counties in Texas. Yeah. We're stronger in number. And so we're pushing yeah. that too, and we got to donate to help them to be able to make those tours across because they pay their dues by donating to other folks' candidacies and so forth. So we got to remember that. Now I have a, I have a couple of things that I want to talk to these statewide candidates about, and I'm sure that Ms. Rihanna may have a question, and Mr. Arthur may have something. But but let's let's take a look at some of the issues that are going on right now uh, within the great state of Texas, and I, I continue to use that term, the great state of Texas, even though we have a lot of things that we need to work on uh, in Texas. But let's take a look at the, the border crisis. That I, and, and I know some of the Republicans are saying that, well, President uh, Biden does not call it a crisis. Uh, but we all know that this is not a brand new issue. Uh, it happened under many presidents past, uh, uh, President Biden. It happened in the last election. Uh, it happened in the, in the last administration, in the administration before that, all the way down to the, the Bushes and, and even the Clintons. That There's always been that issue at the border. Well, I know that it's gotten worse uh, within the last few uh, years, worse meaning that that more people have come uh, to the border, lots of children have come to the border, separated from from their parents and so forth. So, and so my question is going to be this evening, just think, and I, this is just a rhetorical question, does not really necessarily require an answer, but but think about this. If you were in your personal home and, and someone rang your doorbell or knocked on your door and you opened the door and there's a, a child there, a little child, uh, say age uh, 7, 8, 10, something like that, with a backpack, and then the first thing you're going to try to find out, well, who are you and, and why are you here and where's your, where are your parents? So think of the border uh, issue as uh, someone showing up at our door because that's exactly what has happened. They're showing up our, at our American door uh, for uh, to be for to be, to have asylum presented. So now let's go to Dallas, Texas. Uh, we got three thousand three thousand border kids 
for you that are listening that may not know that, 3,000 in the Dallas Convention Center right there where Mr. Arthur lives in Dallas, Texas. And then we found out today that that the uh, city of Dallas, Texas, was paid $9 million to house 3,000 children for 90 days. So what? I want you all to dialogue on Tess Cooper and attorney. What are your thoughts on that? And how do you plan, especially uh, Pastor Cooper, because you, you running for, you're running for governor for this whole state, how we can work out these issues at our border. Uh, I know that there are some that's just sitting there right now that have not been able to come in. These are the adult side of the house. But the children, of course, they're bringing in as as many as they possibly can to take care of them. I'm going to sit back and listen, and I'm, I'm going to start with, well, uh, Attorney Ursa, we'll start with you first, and then we'll go to Pastor Cooper. And then we'll, I'm okay. going to mute while you talk. All right. Yeah, it's no doubt it's a complicated problem, but $9 million for 90 days, that, that I, I, I just, I'm just not certain how that makes sense. Now, and, and let me tell you why I say that, because in 90 days, you can't even put the infrastructure in place that you need, and I'm trying to figure out what they would spend the money on because it's not like they had any thought-out plan. Half the people or the kids, we don't even know where they went. And I'm trying to figure out, was this for food, for what, you know, administration? How was that broken down? You know, I don't know enough to really comment, but I can say this, that, one of the things I think in working smarter is you know how they say that if you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day, but if you teach him how to fish, he'll eat for the rest of his life. And what I think we have to do is be smarter about that money. Take that $9 million, whatever it was, and try to invest it in the infrastructure in Mexico where we actually say this money is earmarked. Right now, I think we give a lot of money to these countries, but not necessarily earmarking it for education, a building institutions. It, it costs them less to build in Mexico than it does us to build in the United States. So I think that we got to go more for in- infrastructure. We already give them money now. Let's earmark it. Make sure the money's getting where it's supposed to go and not getting, you know, in the bureaucracy. I don't know how they handle it. And that's one of the things I want to get more of a grip on. But I do think that we got to figure out a way where the people are running away from home. Look at us. Why do we run away? Because the things are not the way they're supposed to be. Right now, you can't blame these young kids and the parents. You got all this crime, you know, that's down there. What parent wouldn't try to get their uh, their kid out of chaos where they're dying needlessly? This is not something that's light. So we have to, if and unless we help them with their infrastructure, it's going to be a permanent problem because they're always going to come here and it'll never get better unless we take the resources we already give them and figure out a way to make it better. Very, okay, excellent uh, dialogue on that. And let me just throw this little part in. Uh, let's see, 
Mr. Arthur is is prior military, and so am I. I'm retired army. And so when we go, we go on humanitarian missions, and and or just out in the field or at wartime, we have to build a hospital. We have to build it with tent. The tents have to have our our cots. In one area, we have to have our showers. We have to have all. We, just think about whatever your activities of daily living is, uh, from food uh, to shelter. So this is what, and, and sure. I, I agree with you. One hundred. Wait just a minute, Miss Arthur. I agree with you one hundred percent that what we have to do is we have to make sure that that we help them to be safe in their own countries. And and, and think about it. I wouldn't want to have to go and live in another country. I want to remain in my own country. But as you said so eloquently, if it's not safe for me to stay there, I don't want to stay there. And let me throw this in there, and then we're going to go to Mr. Arthur. And then after that, we'll listen to Pastor Cooper on what he has to say about that. But about 10% of the federal budget, so that everybody will know, goes to uh, actually – uh, foreign foreign aid, not less less than ten percent. As a matter of fact, and, and as a matter of fact, they used to say from one one to point nine 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 percent that is that goes to foreign countries. A lot of people uh, always thought because our numbers and our budget is so massive that when we hear the numbers of amounts of money that goes to foreign countries, it does make you throw you off a little bit because. Uh, we have so many issues right here in our own country. Go ahead, uh, Mr. Arthur, and then we'll go to Pastor Cooper to let him dialogue on that particular subject. I'm just, I'll put some context to uh, you know to that whole question, and because I want people to understand that what you're seeing now, the border, that's just an outgrowth of our South American policy over the last hundred years. Uh, and the bottom line of it is, uh, you know, like Mexico, uh, uh, Canada, United States, Mexico you know, make deals with people all around the world. But right there in South America where these black and brown folks are, uh, you know, they haven't had that same kind of uh, opportunity to hook up with with America. So what I'm saying is that our policy towards South America is going to have to be that. Now, Trump, the the little money they were getting, Trump cut that out. He cut that out. So, so, you know, that's that's why they've been running up here. So the bottom line of it is, you know, we got to get a better policy uh, towards that. Now, you know, that might be an initiative that uh, African Americans, uh, African Americans, that we can initiate. You know, I think, I think we need to start working with those countries ourselves and develop uh, a bit of infrastructure down there. So we need to, you know, just look at that and see what we can do. And of course, uh, Mike, if you become the governor, which I think you will. You know, you'll be able to, you know, facilitate some of that. Okay, very good. Well, well you're right. Form, that, that's Cooper, a good segue. Just a second, Pastor Let me let me just throw a couple of more things in, and then I, we want to hear from you certainly. But uh, childhood education school uh, for 20 years, I had 110 students, and during the month of to feed 110 students ran probably somewhere around about $10,000 a month. That's just to provide the food. I'm not even talking about, uh, I'm not talking about the caregivers because if you're talking about, if you're talking about 3,000 kids, can you imagine the number of people that is going to be used? Now that 9 million 
sounds like a lot. Even the ten, even ten thousand dollars per month to feed one hundred and ten kids may sound like a, a lot of money. But when you got when you got three or four meals per day that you have to provide, uh, that may not be quite as much money as it appears to be. Go ahead, Pastor Cooper. No, and you're absolutely correct. Uh, I have four children and and uh, a nanny and everything else. So when we go out to dinner, it costs a lot of money. <laughs> I can attest to that. But uh, with that being said, uh, there are a lot of points here, and I'm going to lead out with what, and I'm kind of going to my segment backwards, and that is uh, what Brother Arthur was talking about. It's not what we're doing now because the board is set up. The world knows us. Okay, we have a Democratic president. So hurry up and rush to the border because they're going to let you in. They have a bleeding heart. They're going to just open the doors and the floodgates, and we just 100,000 people waiting to come in. Well, then we have uh, an issue. I understand President Biden doesn't want to call it a problem. It is a problem. And the problem is that we're not doing anything when we have other presidents in office and other senators and congressmen and, and, and uh, representatives coming together during election, I mean, uh, during off-season, the problem is most presidents are always trying to get reelected, and they're not doing anything about the, the border, and they're always talking about the next election, so after 21 days. So we have to work on this thing in between elections because when there's a Republican in office, they know they need to hurry up and get there before the Republican gets in, in control. So this is going to always be a saga, ongoing issue. But now I'm going backwards into my statement. When we're dealing with the black chambers, a lot of people uh, discount the black chambers. Uh, I have a, a god sister, and just like a sister to me, uh, that is over the black chambers here in southeast Texas. And she's doing a phenomenal job, and she's working with places like Belize and other uh, areas, third world countries and, and countries, to get jobs. From, from our own urban communities, black and white, but a lot of them have to do with black businesses that are coming up. And when you start these corporations in these third world countries, you're right. Uh, I think Sister Johnson said it earlier. It's cheaper for labor over there, and they need jobs. Well, she's creating jobs, and in, in, in she's starting with Belize, and I also have a mission that we were contributing over there at Belize. And the reason for that is because it's a two-hour flight from Houston, and it's something that we can do, and we don't have to fly 12, 14 hours across the world. Well, we can just do this kind of work in our own backyard, even with Mexico. Uh, I was looking at a Ford product of that. You all know my background is in automotive, automotive executive for over 30 years, dealer candidate right now. Matter of fact, don't tell General Motors where I am. That's my, my, my statement. I'm sticking to it because they're waiting for me opening up a Cadillac GM franchise. But I have to put that on hold because our people perish for lack of knowledge. So we have to educate them. And so it's always jobs and paychecks. And when we're developing jobs and paychecks everywhere, I was looking at a Ford product today. 70% of the parts come from Mexico. Yes. So, so <laughs> if we look at what's going on, uh, it, it, it's like they're playing a shell game with us. So this is paid uh, uh I call it performance, to get all these people up here to the board and trying to get them in. But there's so much land between San Antonio and somebody can slap me for saying this later on. I don't care. I'm unapologetic right now because of the lawyer, Mr. Johnson himself, told me to be so. So from San Antonio all the way to El Paso, a stretch of land that I drove 14 times when I ran for lieutenant governor in 2018 and almost won that. I almost kicked uh, Mike yeah. uh, Kaya there, but I made him a stronger candidate because of my aggression. 
So what I'm saying is that there's so much land that's there undeveloped. While we're waiting for these young folks to see uh, judges and lawyers and, and get and do it the right way, there's, there's land that can be developed. We can start little cities and communities there. And, and, and these folks can earn a wage until they accept it or not accept it. And instead of being a burden, they can be a blessing. And so we got to stop looking at things as, uh, for, for being a setback and looking at it to be a setup for us to come up. And that, and that bring everybody up. So I, that, that's all I have to say about that. Great. great. <laughs> okay. Very good. Um, Mr. Carl, I don't know if you have anything to say and add to in regards to to uh, the kids at the border. And then we we can go down the line and we can analyze because uh, attorney has brought up a powerful point. What in the world uh, will will why nine million dollars why nine million dollars uh for for 90 days and especially they're reaching out to find people places and things that they can uh spread these children out to uh, the areas because obviously we know they cannot stay in that community center there in dallas they can't stay there a really long time but it does sound like that is a lot of resources to put in there. Uh, but, but think about this, I, and I don't know how many showers and how many bathrooms. I, I mean, I've been there. At that, that's like Kay Bailey Hutchison's uh, uh, convention center right off of there, there at 30. And if you're going in, in and around downtown Dallas right off uh, there, if you're coming out of Tyler to the uh, right, you just exit off there, and it's just right there. Uh, down near the uh, city uh, courthouse, as a matter of fact. But that that does sound like a lot of money for 90 days, but then we got to look at the number of children that we are actually talking about. Comments? Uh, sure, uh, sure, yes. sure, Shirley, yes. Shirley, have you noticed that? Have you noticed that, that, when, the Repu- that when the Republicans are in office, the media – they go into this docile thing, right? Right, there like, you right. Go. like they yeah. all have. Mm-hmm. Now, as soon as as soon as Democrats get in office, they bow and right. cold. That's right. Exactly. And so, That's right. And so, you know, first of all, they knew they took over a disaster. It was a disaster yeah. when they took it over. Absolutely. A man been in office fifty-eight days. Give me a break. Give me a break. Now, if it's still like that six months from now, okay, then let's talk about something. But my goodness, mm-hmm. it was a disaster when he took it over. So, right. you know, right. uh, 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 again, as far as $9 million, remember now they they, they given, you know, they rent us a city facility, you know, that normally, uh, you know, be doing other stuff. So, uh, right. uh, you know, I'm sure they're making that, uh, I'm sure in order to get down to say, come on down. They had to make it nice, otherwise, you know, that's kind of how they work. Get a slack, get a slack about that as well. Is what you're saying? Yeah. If if if, if it was cages, quote unquote, so to so to speak, then they would. Miss Rihanna, jump in. Miss Rihanna, educator, uh, work with children uh, in her career. So, what are you, what is your thought process in regards to uh, the children at the border, Miss Rihanna? Yes. Well. Uh, Jen Saki, the press secretary, has given really great answers about this every time she's asked. And ironically, the two of the times that I've seen her asked about this particular provision in the spending uh, in the budget, 
the COVID relief bill. Um, she was asked by Peter Ducey, Fox News, in a way that was trying to, you know, trip her up or, you know, it was kind of a in a gotcha kind of way. And she was very clear. And in reading the bill, you can see that it's very clear that in order for these uh, places where these children are being housed while they go through the due process that they're allowed to go through in a COVID safe way, um, they mm-hmm. have certain standards have to be met. This money has to be spent in order for them to be properly housed in a safe way and be given all of the things that they were quite frankly denied by the morally bankrupt last com- administration um, who had absolutely no care or concern how many children died under that watch, how many children are still separated from their families um, under under Excuse that me, watch. Just, just a second, Miss Rihanna. I'm sorry, just mm-hmm. a second. If you could please mute your phones while while when you're not speaking because we can hear the papers and the movement in the background so that we can get a good recording of the show. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Miss Rihanna. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, and not to, not everything has to be a what about thing, but uh, the fact is that the way that people were being treated by the last, the last administration was just completely morally reprehensible in general, making it a crime for you to come to our you know, come to our border and ask for asylum, making it impossible for you to go through that due process, separating you from your children as a, quote, deterrent, um, you know, then for people to, to be questioning why this hasn't been fixed and now why are we giving money, you know, why, are, why does the COVID relief bill include money to make housing uh, some of these people who are here, children seeking asylum, uh, COVID safe. You know, it, it's common sense that we have to make these things COVID safe, and they're really doing it by the book. I mean, there are uh, eight guidelines that have to be met for any place where these children are being housed to be COVID safe, and beyond that. They have to have access to to medical care, to educational resources, uh, to yeah, basic yeah. hygiene resources, to uh, counseling. Um, you know, a lot of them had a harrowing journey to get here. And, you know, just it, it, it's treating people humanely, basically, right. and providing they're resources here. for that, which they're owed as humans. Right. Okay, so very good. Thank you, Ms. Rihanna. So attorney... Um, Ursa, why do you think then that so many kids and so many are coming right now within the last, say, the last few weeks? Uh, because they've, they've been coming all along, right? That's, that's, that's not new. They've been coming all along. So do you think that now we're just getting more publicity about them coming, or do you think that more are coming? And if so, what, what reason do you think? Go ahead. I think absolutely more coming because they couldn't come. You know, they were, they wanted to be here and um, the Trump administration, you know, they were successful in keeping them out. So, you know, the, here it is. They feel like uh, president Biden, I, I really do believe they feel like 
he is the guy he is. He has a sense of a compassionate heart. But I, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, they're trying to say, pause it. We're trying to get uh, legislation in place where we can do it right. Uh, right now, you know, it's not the time. We got all the COVID things. We don't have the infrastructure. So we're just going to end up putting the kids, like you saw the pictures that they had on uh, on TV of, of now since the Biden administration where they're putting the youth and it looks crowded, it looks unorganized, and it is, and that's kind of the point, and I'm glad she uh, talked about, and I, I forget the lady's name that just spoke about, you know, the $9 million, because, you know, in, in hindsight, I started thinking about it. I thought, well, for 90 days, you, you got to really know how many people that they're caring for, and all of the systems that she says have to be put in place, I, I'm yeah. not just sure how they could have done that in 90 days, though. You know, it takes that long to just get a plan and and then to work the plan. So where was the money really going? I, I, I can't see it on the education and all that so quickly because you, you, you got to organize that. And I, I, I don't know. I, I think I would have to look at the numbers myself, but I can see if it was run correctly. And they were doing all the things that they were supposed to be. Uh, yeah, the nine million probably wouldn't even be enough if they were actually doing it right, uh, keeping mm-hmm. the data so we can know where everyone went. You know what happened. So um, at the end of the day, right. I think the kids are coming now strictly because they haven't been able to come. And mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people have lost their lives. It's a real serious danger. What's going on down there? So the minute That's you it. can get there, you're coming. So I think there is an increase. They they may have been coming, but at a slower rate because of all the things that were happening when they were taking the kids, dislocating the families, taking people and bring, uh, sending them back. Mm-hmm. Now that that's no longer there, of course they're going to run for their lives. Sure, and rightfully so, and we, we would as well. And, and let, let, let me just share this a little, little bit deeper. I remember, and Mr. Arthur could probably attest to this, I remember when we went on uh, peace, uh, I should say humanitarian uh, uh, missions in the military down in uh, Honduras and Guatemala and, uh, and El Salvador, which is where a lot of these kids are coming from. We went down to, to immunize them, give them back things and give them uh, the things that children didn't normally get. Well, now, just to let you know, they, they didn't just start working on this this week. As a matter of fact, they've been working on this for a bit because we have, if you look at the number of children that we have in custody here through the Department of Health and Human Services, we got over 9,000 of those young kids that are here. And so I think about I, I had a contract with the state of Texas for uh, through Texas uh, Health and Human Services, a child protective service, children for 20 years. And, and some of these kids even slept in the offices of the social workers because they didn't have until they could find spaces and places to put these children. So, uh, so they've been working at this probably since January, the 20th of January. Thereafter, leading into now, uh, they've been looking, and they still are. They're looking for places and spaces all across America to place these children. So, so the money, uh, 
that just tells you how much money that we really do have uh, in this country. We are the wealthiest country in the world, no doubt. Uh, so, and, and we're more of a, a humanitarian country uh, than anybody else. And that, that example that I was just using about if children showed up at my doorway, I'm not going to push them away. I'm going to find out where those kids belong. I'm going to call the police department. I'm going to call somebody. And whether they stayed at my home or, or somebody picked them up and carried them someplace else, but they would they would be taken care of, and so any other any any more comments in regards to that, Miss Arthur, uh, Pastor Cooper, or Miss Rihanna, and thank you, Miss Rihanna, for laying out uh, so eloquently what what's happening and how these kids are. Just think about just think about three thousand kids and how many people, how much staff that you have to to have. There's a ratio that's set up by the Texas Department of Health and Human Services as far as taking care of children. If you have, if you have, right. I'm going to use this as a small scale. If you have five babies uh, in an early childhood education school, you got to have two staff right. full time taking care of those five babies. So just take that, and a lot of these are little bitty small. Then you go up to the toddlers and so forth. It's a real, real serious issue. So we have to we have to go into these countries and help to make sure that their areas are safe. And that's what we do in the military, right, Mr. Arthur? When right. we, we keep war out of our country and we take it to foreign soil. Go ahead, Mr. Arthur. I just like want to do a news flash real quick. Uh, it just flashed on the news that. Ten people up there in Colorado was killed. So, you know, one police officer. Yes. So, so another mass shooting. With the, oh, another mass shooting. Mass shooting? Another yeah, mass shooting. Ten people killed. Uh, uh, well, that one, that uh, is on my list to go to the Asian uh, community that experienced uh, last week in in Atlanta. So then let's go switch over. This is a good place and a good point for us to to switch over to see what these these statewide candidates feel that they can do in their campaign to help us to eradicate domestic terrorism. Because we do have a list of domestic terrorists in this country. And I don't know if you guys saw this afternoon, uh, they had the, uh, a group of black militias in their camp where they train Lu- and Lu- do the things that they... Louis go, go ahead. Lu- I said Louis Gohman. I'm, I'm sorry. What was that, Mr. Arthur? I, go ahead. I said Louis Gohman is one of them. Well, well, right. this group, yeah. <laughs> he voted against honoring the police. So, you know, he won't, he, mm-hmm. he, he's a terrorist. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. okay. Any any comments in regards to how how we can handle uh, our issue at the border? Any suggestions and things because they're they're looking for answers, and it's it's taking all of us to work together as a team. We know that the government is sheltering these kids in our system, and our system is already uh, overcrowded right now with children who are born and bred right here in America. Any comments I'll from anybody? And I'm going to meet. Everybody, anybody that's not speaking, please mute. I think the uh, Biden-Harris era that we're going to get better because when I was down in, uh, I think it was Matamoros, uh, in 2018, and they invited us out, and I was one of only uh, probably three candidates that went down uh, across the whole entire state of Texas. And we, we saw these folks uh, bathing uh, 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 along the uh, river there, 3,000 folks waiting to uh, be seen 
And then they took us for a tour inside the tents where they're supposed to be holding court. And underneath uh, our previous president's uh, ruling, uh, they thought that the judge would be there in the next couple of weeks, six weeks, and, and they had a charging station for them to call and find out when they're they're uh, they're going to be seen in court. And, and all they they wanted, and they kept iterating to me uh, that they just wanted their day in court. They they just wanted to be heard. They wanted to do it the right way. And and there there are two things that they would not discuss. Uh, they they hated when it got dark. That was one. The other thing is that they wouldn't mention the cartel's name because they had bicycle racks in the camp at the beginning of the camp and the end of the camp because at nighttime there's very little light. Uh, somehow they were able to get some electricity and they had some light at early close, I mean close uh, to the uh, entrance uh, of the United States. But as you get farther back into the camp, it was mostly men and they stood guard because there are 13-year-old boys would be kidnapped and prostituted out. The little girls, of course, would be kidnapped. That was a given. But when they couldn't get the the girls, they would grab the boy. So I had to stand here in in, in dirty filth, and they did the best they could with keeping it clean. Uh, Mothers were cooking. uh, Fathers were out looking, hustling for work. Uh, They were cutting hairs, uh, trying to stay tidy. The little areas they had a place for trash and just everywhere. So it's real, but as a society, we have to continue to work on this daily. This is, and I believe in this administration. Like I said, it hasn't been 100 days. So I think it's going to change, but we have to have a format, no matter who's in office, Republican or Democrat, that we have to be sincere here in the state of Texas. And that's why I think as a governor, I can make a difference with that because we need to go to our borders. We need to talk to the president, uh, Andreas, Andreas. And, and we need to communicate with him instead of bully or, or, or throwing out statements. We need to have a relationship. Uh, Dr. McKellar said it so, so perfectly. If someone's at your door and they have their luggage there, how are you going to handle them? How are you going to treat them? Well, even before they get to the, your door, they're at your driveway. They're, they're at your border uh, of your land. So what kind of communication, what kind of relationship are you going to have with the person that, that's sharing the fence uh, at, at the end of your home or at, in your backyard. So we need to start those communications and, and have dialogue to, to where the, uh, we can assist before it gets to this point. Right. Very well put. So so think about this, guys. They, we also know that uh, that we've had some hurricanes uh, uh, there in Central America that's caused uh, their uh, economy to slump. Their economy was already probably a little slumped anyway. Think about what we just experienced here in Texas, in the wealthiest country in the world, even in the one of the wealthiest states in the union, uh, with our power outage and all the issues that we dealt with, and and how our uh, people had broken pipes and and the economics that they are now experiencing, trying to get uh, their pipes repaired, uh, losing food. I mean, I, I mentioned this before. We were out of power for 65 hours. You know, we lost our whole freezers of food and stuff. What that that's okay. Okay, but there uh, there may be some people who may have a struggle in getting all of that put back together. And then, of course, then we have COVID-19 that's going on. It's a pandemic, which means it's all around the world. So these people are experiencing all kinds of issues. So think about how what we're experiencing. They are they are experiencing or have experienced the same thing, but they're trying to come to us because they think that it's going to be much better. 
and and it is and it would be for them. But but President Biden is not opening the borders to say come on in. As a matter of fact, he's telling them don't come. But think about this: Do you think they they hear that message? Do you think uh, that they would stop even if they heard that message? Do you think they have telephones where they can pick up the news and so forth? Let's dialogue on that. Are they are they getting this message? Uh, obviously not. And then, of course, uh, when they get to the border, there are some who are arrested. And then there's uh, the adults, I understand, that are in border control, that they're not allowing them to come in. Only the children who are unaccompanied are allowed to come in. Comments from, any, from anybody. Speak up or I'll call on you. Go ahead, go ahead, attorney, and then we'll go to Pastor Cooper, and then we'll do our round robin to the rest. Well, well I, I think they, I think they are getting the message. I don't think they are listening to the message, and especially when you have the situation where we are letting the kids come in. That means more kids to come simply because they know that if I send the kids, they'll get in. So I don't, I don't think that is going to die down at all. I think it's going to increase, if nothing else, simply because of the fact that once they see there's some success, you know, that's going to happen. And, you know, I have mixed feelings. I understand why they're doing it. But, you know, we do need to have infrastructure in place. So what happened under the Trump administration doesn't repeat itself on our watch. And if you don't have the time and no. the infrastructure, it's not going to happen. You you know, it, it, no. as much as you want to help. Wait just a minute, Mr. Arthur. Go, go, go ahead, man. Go. As much as you want to help, you know, you gotta you gotta you gotta really try to wait until you got those systems in place. Because if you don't, you know, all of what we do is for not when you end up with situations where those the young kids are actually, you know, they're uh, you you don't have a record of where they are. They can be in human trafficking. It's too much yeah. going on here that we don't we're not prepared for to just open the floodgates. Very good, Mr. Arthur. Uh, the only thing I was going to say is that that I think that again I think we're focusing on the wrong thing. Because the, so we need to be focusing on why they come up here in the first place. That's, that's a South American policy. And, 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 and until we focus on that, uh, because like I say, you know, this is a, this is a, a current temporary situation. And, it, it, and it's going to get resolved some kind of satisfaction. But even after that, like you said, the folks are still going to be coming. Because until you do something about down there, uh, you know, you know, start doing some trade deals with them. Uh, you know, whatever we need to do, uh, you know, to have developed, you know, that part of uh, that part of South America. So uh, uh, until we do that, this is going to be an ongoing, ongoing, everyday problem. And and, and it didn't start with Trump. I want to be clear about that. It didn't start with that, Trump. Exactly. It's been going on a long time. Long time. Let's 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 reiterate. That's why I was saying a few minutes ago we're getting more publicity about it in in recent times. But we can take it all the way back to all the other presidents that that we've already named out uh, on the show tonight. Uh, Pat Cooper, your comments because I, I I agree. That's why I mentioned what what the military does. We 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 right. to that country to specific countries. We think we take it 
we keep war off of this ground, or at least we try to keep war off of uh, of the soil and take the foreign soil. Pastor Cooper, go ahead. A- absolutely. And we have to make sure that we deal with this. We have to understand, though, that the state of Texas has been controlled by Republican uh, leaders for over 20 years. And they've done absolutely nothing to assist the federal government in, in, in rectifying the situation we have. When's the last time you ever heard of governors going down to the border to uh, speak to the landowners, uh, get their advice, uh, get their input? When's the last time you heard him? Uh, speaking and having conversations with the president of Mexico, the guy in your backyard. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I want my neighbor to, to kind of like me, uh, to understand me, get to know me, so that I can deal with the, some of the things that he may have to deal with. Uh, he may have offenses down during a hurricane that he can't afford to put up right now or, or whatever it is. So, so I have to have some understanding about that, or he may have a downtime. So uh, when we're talking about uh, renters' assistance here in Texas and we're talking about uh, frozen pipes here in Texas, just like you said earlier, they've had those same things. You're talking about COVID here in Texas. So we're going to spend $9 million uh, after it's all over, after we go, uh-oh, what about spending $3 million to prevent it? Uh, I, I played sports. You know, we used to go and prevent defense, and uh, it's to stop the other team from scoring. And, and so there are some things we need to do as Texans and show them that uh, we, we have an understanding of our neighbors. and But we can't understand them if we're not dialoguing with them, and not just when there's an emergency. Just like you said, this thing will go away. This is temporary. Uh, th- this is politics. Uh, this is the media utilizing, and they're watching how we handle it. And they hadn't done a very good job in finding some what they call dirt on us because uh, whenever they were talking about the treatment of the kids and the busing of this and, and whether but they weren't in cages, and they've been taken care of, and they are being tested, and, and they are treating them uh, with kid gloves with COVID. So I, I think the Biden-Harris administration is doing as much as they can right now, and I think it's going to get better. Right. And I think as governor right. that we need to work with the president. We need to work with the president of the United States and of Mexico to alleviate the issues at the turn every time there's a four-year election. Very good. Thank you so much for that. Listen, I, I just looked up. It, it's ten oh one. Boy, we're enjoying this conversation, and we're we're going over our right. time. But what? But but we're going to give uh, thirty seconds uh, uh, for each one of our candidates to to do a closeout on their uh, their stump speech, so to speak. And uh, we're going we're going to start with uh, Pastor Cooper first. But I want to thank both of you for coming on tonight. And and there's an open invitation for you. Uh, Attorney Ursa to come anytime. We're on three times a week, uh, then on Wednesday morning and then on Thursday. Deep East Texas is covered, so we have to have you please come back midday on Thursday on a different network uh, and uh, and talk to us deep into East Texas because we want to see the two of you coming down into East Texas and spending some quality time with us down here to make sure that our people know exactly what your goals and objectives are. Pastor Cooper, take your, your 30 seconds or, or so, 45 maybe, uh, to finish up, and hopefully we won't get cut off, and then we'll let uh, Attorney Ertha uh, end us. And then thank you so very much for being on with us. Pastor Cooper. Awesome. I'm going to answer a question that Brother Arthur asked earlier. He said, what are you going to do about down-ballot candidates? And we didn't get a chance to answer that. I'm going to do exactly what I did with you, Dr. Shirley McKellar. I showed up in East Texas and showed up in my numbers. Even uh, when I ran for lieutenant governor in the U.S. Senate, Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee noticed it. She said, boy, you own East Texas. That's because I showed up. And I showed up in other <laughs> areas also. But East Texas also 
showed up. So it's a reciprocation that, that handles there. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go across the great state of Texas and help judges get elected like uh, Ms. Johnson Bell. Matter of fact, happy birthday to your daughter today. And uh, we're going to make sure that we get all the Texans elected that's going to make a change in Texas. Thank you. Happy birthday. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> okay, attorney. And I was this week. I'm headed to Columbia on Thursday, so I can't do it this Thursday. But I will be on a Thursday, and I'll close okay. by saying I offer you my voice to be a vocal advocate for our cause. I offered you my hands to work every day, and I offer you my heart to be a passionate advocate for the democratic issues. And I would really, really appreciate your vote. And remember that good is better's worst enemy. You have better looking in your eyes, but don't settle for good. Thank you so much. Outstanding. Listen, I want to say thank you so much. You've made this a marvelous Monday. We thank uh, Mr. Carl Davis for, for opening up our lines and bringing in these amazing candidates. I know you're going to do a great job. And so we're going to push, push hard as we can to make sure that we get you elected to these great positions. Thank you so very much. Uh, you've been listening to Marvelous Monday. We're going to turn things over to Miss Rihanna, and she's going to play our theme song and take us out. You're welcome to this platform anytime you so desire on Marvelous Monday. Thank you so very much. Thank you, Mr. Arthur, and everybody that's been on with us tonight. And now, Miss Rihanna, we turn it back over to you. Have a great evening. Good night. Good night. One day when the glory comes, it will be ours. When the war is won, we will be sure, we will be sure, oh, glory, 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 hands to the heavens, no man, no weapon. Formed against, yes, glory is destined. Everyday women and men become legends. Sins that go against our skin become blessings. The movement is a rhythm to us. Freedom is like religion to us. Justice is juxtaposition in us. Justice for all just ain't specific enough. One son died, his spirit is revisiting us. True and living, living in us. Resistance is us. That's why Rosa sat on the bus. That's why we walk through Ferguson with our hands up. When it goes down, we woman and man up. They say stay down and we stand up. Shots be on the ground. The camera panned up. King pointed to the mountaintop and we ran up. One day when the glory comes, it will be out. It will be When the war is won, we will be sure, we will be sure, oh, 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 oh,
feelings now for every man, woman, and child. Even Jesus got his crown in front of a crowd. They march with the torch, we gon' run with it now. Never look back, we done gone hundreds of miles. From dark roads, heroes, to become a hero. Facing the league of justice, his power was the people. Enemy is lethal, a king became regal. Saw the face of Jim Crow under a ball ego. The biggest weapon. It's to stay peaceful, we sing Our music is the cuts that we bleed through Somewhere in the dream we had an epiphany Now we right the wrongs in history No one can win the war individually It takes the wisdom of the elders and young people's energy Welcome to the story we call victory The coming of the Lord, my eyes have seen the glory One day, when the glory comes, it will be With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.